This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. July 17th, 1944, 10:19 p.m. Port Chicago, California. Blast, death toll now 377, the headline on page one of the Chronicle said, in letters two inches high. 1,000 injured. There had been a massive explosion at the Port Chicago Naval Magazine. Munitions blew up as they were being loaded onto a cargo ship bound for the war in the Pacific. That headline death toll would prove to be high. The final toll was 320. Most of those killed and most of those injured were African-American sailors. The Port Chicago disaster, as well as a work stoppage by sailors later in the summer, their courts martial, convictions, and prison sentences on mutiny charges, all of it highlighted systemic racial inequality in the Navy. Port Chicago was a small town on Susun Bay, near where Clyde is now, a few miles east along the shoreline from Martinez. The naval magazine had been built right after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Bombs, mines, torpedoes, and bullets arrived at the magazine by train, and they were loaded onto cargo ships to sail off to the war. All of the enlisted men at Port Chicago were black. All of the officers were white. The Navy used a testing system to rank enlisted men for duty, and Port Chicago's sailors all came from those who tested the lowest. They got no training in the handling of munitions. Everything at Port Chicago pointed to disaster. There was no training, no system in place to make sure safety rules were followed. Commanders ordered the men to load the cargo faster than was safe. They ran speed contests between units. The dock machinery wasn't properly maintained. A Coast Guard commander who had a crew supervising the dock had warned the Navy about the unsafe conditions, and when the Navy refused to do anything about it, the commander pulled his crew. Some of the munitions that were being loaded were live. They were armed. They could explode if they were dropped or jostled too much. Weapons were being loaded onto two ships at 10.18 p.m. when witnesses heard a metallic sound, like a boom falling. Then a few seconds later, there was an explosion. And then a few seconds after that, a bigger explosion. The 320 who died were killed instantly, mostly vaporized. Only about 50 bodies were recovered. The town of Port Chicago, next to the magazine, was obliterated. Chronicle reporter Carolyn Onsbacher wrote a dispatch from the Santa Fe train depot using what she said was the only working typewriter left in town. First came the sound, and then, an instant later, the town rocked as if a titan had picked it up in a burst of fury and hurled it toward the sky. 
and then came darkness and the sort of silence that accompanies oblivion. It is dawn now, a bitter cold dawn, and nothing is left of Port Chicago. Nothing is left but the spirit of its 3,000 inhabitants. Every building is warped beyond recognition. Not a pane of glass remains intact. The surviving personnel from Port Chicago were reassigned to the Mare Island Navy Yard in Vallejo. About three weeks later, several units of African-American enlisted men refused to load munitions onto ships under the same conditions that had been in place at Port Chicago. After some back and forth, some cajoling and threats, some agreed to work and others refused. 208 of them were docked pay and discharged. The other 50 were court-martialed for mutiny. They were convicted and sentenced to hard labor for at least eight years, and some of them for as long as 15. Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP led the appeals for the Port Chicago 50, arguing that the Navy had discriminated against them, including by assigning blacks to the most dangerous jobs without proper training and denying them any chance for advancement. It was a legal appeal, but it was also a publicity campaign, and it was effective. The courts martial were reopened, though the convictions and sentences were reaffirmed. Those sentences were reduced when the war ended, and all but a few of the men were released by 1946. They spent the rest of their lives fighting to clear their names. In 1999, Freddie Meeks, one of the few sailors who petitioned the president for a pardon, most refused because they saw that as asking for forgiveness, Meeks was pardoned by President Bill Clinton. The town of Port Chicago never recovered and officially ceased to exist in the 1960s. The Port Chicago Naval Magazine National Memorial was dedicated in 1994. I've talked about Carolyn Onsbacher twice before on Not Your Century, on March 21st when she wrote about Frank Sinatra in 1946, and on June 5th when she wrote about Angela Davis in 1972. Her writing was read by Lizzie Johnson. Not Your Century is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like this show, we'd love it if you'd give it a rating and a review. For great journalism today, consider subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle, which you can do in both paper and digital form by going to sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Historical research by Libby Coleman. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century. 